Why don't you open your Bible then with me and uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you haven't got a Bible with you, it'll come up on the... Uh, up on the screen for you. I want to just continue with fasting. Man, we had an awesome time at the prayer meeting the other night. Whoa, what a great presence of God. And uh, just one hour and just we're all on. And uh, it was just a tremendous presence of God. And fasting is uh, about bringing about change in our lives. And uh, I'm not fussed with fasting too much, but I've come to recognize it's an important part of my life. I can never live the life I live and do what I do unless I actually practice the disciplines of fasting, praying, giving. It's just a crucial part of any person who wants to have a life that has impact. And after a little while, you get to really love it. I was really looking forward to come away from Christmas to getting on a fast. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 18, Jesus talked about when you pray, when you give, when you fast. And it says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So fasting softens our heart and enlarges our capacity to receive from God. See, many times we want God to give more, and sometimes we've got to make room by actually letting go some things. And what you find with fasting, one of the tremendous benefits of fasting is as you give yourself to fast, I'm not going to just miss a meal, as you actually start over a period of time to begin to consciously pursue the presence of God and begin to fast daily, whether it's a meal, two meals, three meals, or whatever you choose to fast off, whatever you do in that area. But as you do it, what you find is that your heart becomes softer towards the Lord. We don't realize just how we get overwhelmed with just the pressures of living. You get to worry you've got children, they've got decisions to make, there's school things to get ready, there's finances, there's bills to pay, there's all kinds of pressures and stresses. And what they do is they come in upon our life, we eat and we drink and sleep, and then after a while, spiritual dullness sets in. And we find ourselves overwhelmed. So this season at the beginning of the year is a season to begin to sharpen our lives up again in God so that as we enter the year, as we flow through the year, we're expecting and believing and we're positioning ourselves for, lot, for the, good, the best of God for this year. You actually have to do something for God's blessings to flow in your life. Right? You know, you can have water in a tap, but if you don't turn it on, there's no water flowing. So you've got to do something. So fasting softens our heart and prepares us to grow in our capacity and increase and enlarge in our capacity to receive. So I want to just talk about fasting for enlargement, but I, I'm not going to focus so much on the fasting. The fasting accompanies this particular thing that I want to get us to, uh, to look at today. Uh, when we look in the life of John the Baptist, the Bible says of John the Baptist, he was great in the eyes of the Lord. How about that? Okay. Now, a lot of people thought he was a nutter. But the Lord thought he was great. And what happens is we tend to be so worried about what people think of us, but what is really important eternally and significantly is what God thinks of you. What does God think of you? And if you look at the life of John, he never did a single miracle. Not like we can do. We can lay hands on the sick. We can cast out. That's why Jesus said, I tell you now, uh, of all the people, he said, those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. So we can position ourselves to be greater than him. But you can't overlook his lifestyle. And part of his lifestyle was fasting that he might increase his capacity to have more of God to offer his generation. So when you looked at John, his lifestyle was quite unusual. But one of the things that characterized it was prayer, fasting, seeking the presence of God. Now listen. He impacted a whole generation of people. 
he impacted a whole generation. So what people thought was a nutcase, everyone came out to see him and he prepared the way, literally prepared the way of the law. There was a presence of God came on his life that overflowed and impacted the people around him. You know what it did? It caused them to become conscious of sin. It caused them to want to change their lives. They came to him saying, what must we do? What must we do? What, what should we do? And he told them how to change their lives. So people were drawn because he was a bright, shining, passionate light. He literally carried something of the life of God. Now, we have access to that same life. And so I want to just talk about that and how we can access and particularly some things that we can do. I want you to look with me in Psalm 27 and verse 4. I love this one. And I keep repeating it, of course, every prayer meeting because I've just got to, I'm wrapped around it and praying it at the moment. But here it is, and uh, in Psalm 27, I'm loving all of Psalm 27, I'll just pick this one verse. Verse 4, one thing of I desire, I want to just talk a little about the key of David. And uh, then we want to talk about then, about how to actually shift the focus of your life, and what you need to do, and, and how to go about bringing about change. How many have decided this year you want to make some changes in your life? All right then, and how many have decided in their heart you want to change in your walk with God? All right, then. Now, probably what we found is that we've all made that kind of resolution every year and found it wasn't so easy to keep as the year went by. And it's usually because we try and do the wrong things to get this to change. And uh, there's many aspects of change, but I want to show you one thing that is crucial for change taking place. Now, let's have a look at it. And, and first, of all, we're going to see it in David's life. Then we're going to look at it as a principle in the Bible, and the Bible will tell us exactly how we can change. It doesn't leave us in the dark how we can change how the change takes place, and what our part is in the change. It actually leaves it unmistaken what we must do. Now, what I found is that people want to change, but they just don't do the one thing God says you've got to do for change to take place. Of course, the first change is receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. That caused us to change totally on the inside, but then that change has to outwork through our life. Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in the pavilion. Now if you read the whole of the psalm, you find that David was surrounded by problems. He was surrounded by people who were out to kill him. He was surrounded by uh, malicious reports. People were talking against him. He was a man in that season of his life. I'm going to look at the seasons of life. And if you want to walk with God, the seasons God takes you through. I'm going to look at that in another time. But today what I want to do is just look. This particular season of David was a very, very difficult time for him. He, he'd be, he was on the run. He was a national criminal. There were 3,000 soldiers out looking for him. Uh, there was a, a reward on him, not dead or alive, dead. And so he lived in fear of his life. And yet he keeps saying right through the psalm, I'm not afraid. Now, how do you live like that? How do you live knowing that everyone around you is out to get you and you're not afraid of it at all? Now, maybe there's no, no one's out to, to kill you physically, but... We can go into environments where it's very hostile, where people are difficult, where they're hard to get on with, where they are critical, where they talk against you, and they literally release a hostile spirit against you uh, because maybe what you like or what you do, or maybe just because you're Christian. could be all kinds of reasons, but it, we can walk through that without being afraid. And the key to overcoming fear that he had in his life 
was he found a place of intimacy with the Lord, a place of relationship with the Lord, where not only did he come to security inside, he actually got wisdom how to outwit everyone. So when the enemy had come up against him, God would speak to him, talk to him, tell him exactly what to do, and he'd win the battle. And then the next time they come up against him, he said, shall I go up against him? He said, no, don't do it that way, do it a different way. So you notice he was never a man who relied on methods. He was a man of passionate pursuit of something. Notice he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. He said, there's one thing that I have that, that grips my life. It is the focus of my life. It's not my enemies. It's not the conflicts. It's not the stresses. It's not the money worries. It's not this funny ragtag group of people. He said, there's one thing that has got a grip of my life. One thing I desire, my life is focused on this one thing and I'll seek after it, pursue it. It's my life pursuit. When you look at the seasons of David's life, you find in every season he pursued God. Every season, whether he was up or whether he was down, he was still a pursuer of God and he qualified himself to fulfill his destiny. So right now, he's in the season. He said, listen, no matter what's happening around me, he said, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. I won't be afraid what man can do. There was a deep-rooted intimacy with God, and that is available for you and me. He said, one thing will I decide of the Lord, that will I seek after. And then he lists three things. I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. But those three things are all one. They're all an intimate, close connection with God. See, God has provided for us a personal relationship, not religion. He wants us to have a personal relationship. Now, notice what that personal relationship is made up of. He says, that I may dwell in his presence. In other words, that I might live aware of the presence of God, I might be conscious of his presence, actually engage his presence. Not talking to someone way out there and hoping somehow he'll hear my prayers. Notice this, to behold the beauty or literally the goodness of the Lord. This, this is what this word means. And this is the thing I'm going to be focusing on this. To behold the beauty of the Lord. That word be, uh, let's see if I can get it out here. The beauty means it's the quality of a person that gives intense pleasure or satisfaction. The beauty of the Lord is the qualities in his character and what he's like that cause you to feel intensely satisfied and enjoy him. Now notice what is the focus of his life. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. It's his love. It's his kindness. It's his mercy. It's not scary God who's going to punish me, scary God who's mad at me. No, it's none of that. It's, he's actually made the focus of his life meditating and pondering and reflecting and hunger to see more of how good God is. In every religion in the world, you find people think that God is mad at them. And they're afraid of him. And they do things out of fear in order to try and be accepted by him or they just pretend he isn't there. But you see, what David's saying is, it's possible to enjoy a relationship with God, but the focus of that is his goodness. The focus is not my problems. Was David a perfect man? No way. He did all kinds of weird things. He told lies. He, he, he did all kinds of things. Killed a man, committed adultery. You see, his life was definitely not perfect, but God says he's my hero. 
You see, what he made the focus of his life was the goodness of God, how good God is. Now, I'm going to look at how you go about doing that shortly, but you'll find that if you can begin to start to make the goodness of God, the focus of your devotion and your life, and begin to hunger to experience and understand and know just how really good he is. He is really good. Taste and see the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. And he's good all the time. Now, we kind of have this mentality, well, if I'm good, he's good to me. And if I haven't had a bad, I've had a bad day, he's not too happy with me. And that is not how God operates. And if you operate in that kind of thinking, you can never walk in the presence and power of God. You are literally frustrated. You've set the whole basis of your walk with God. If I'm good, he's good to me. Now listen, that means that God changes according to what you're doing. He doesn't change. You're down, he's still good. You're up, he's good. You're in trouble, he's good. You're exalted, he's good. You got promoted, he's good. You're in the mess, he's good. You totally blew it and failed, he's good. He doesn't change. And so focusing our life on the goodness of God allows a foundation to be built that whether we're up or down, doing well or not doing well, God is good. And we can actually be emotionally stable, spiritually stable. Now, I watch Christians, worked and prayed with them for years. And what I notice is when the weather's good, they're up. When the weather's down, they're down. When they're up, they're up. When they're down, they're down. The rest of the time, they're halfway up. You're neither up nor down. You know how the song goes. So I look at some people, oh, they're down in their countenance just because it's a bad day. Oh, it's raining today. Oh, oh, great, it's raining today. Tomorrow's a great, it's sunny today. See, the focus of our life is not to be our feelings or our circumstances or what's happening around us. Make a deep foundation in your life this year so no matter what's going on around you, you are consistently stable and joyful and walking with God. Why shouldn't that be normal? Instead, oh, could you pray for me? Could you help me? Could you? Listen, get up and begin to do the things you need to do to position yourself with God's presence around your life. He will tell you what to do when you're down. We'll see, whenever David was down, he did the same stuff he did when he was up. One thing of I desired, one thing of I desired, that will I seek after. He continued to seek God. He sought God when no one knew him. He sought God when everyone knew him. He sought God when everyone hated him. He sought God when it looked like promotion was about to come. He sought God when he had been promoted. See, he, was a, he hungered for the goodness of God. Did he, did he enjoy all the things that were around him? Sure, but that's not where his life is. You ask anyone who's got a lot of stuff, there's also a lot of pressures on how you've got to keep it. See, people think that with lots of things, you're going to be happy. You're not going to be happy that way. When you've got them, then they're a problem. You've got to keep after them and look after them. See, nothing satisfies except the beauty of the Lord. Of course, that sounds weird, but actually it's the truth because we're made and designed to enjoy God. It's the how-to of it's the issue, of course. See? So notice he focused. Now, you're going to choose what is the focus of your life. You choose your focus. Now, this is the one thing I can't do for you. It's the one thing God can't do for you. It's the one thing no one in this church can do for you is choose what you will focus your life on. You're the one who chooses that. Last week I gave a message on focus and I encourage you to get that, a very, very good message on helping people to, to get their life. So, but get this, whatever you focus on, whatever you give your attention to, your heart will open up to and respond to. You think about this, how many men... Women, you'd know this one. You can answer for them in case they're pretty silent on this one. And, uh, but how many, how many men coming home after a day 
of intense work find that after you've got home, you still, you're back at work, you're physically at home, but your mind and thoughts, there's just no one, you know, your wife talks to you and there's no one home. Lights are on and you're there, but there's no one in there. They're gone. They're still back at work. Now, how many find that? Huh? Yeah. Oh, come on, the rest are denying it. Yeah, it's true. And you talk and you can't get a response because the person's heart was focused for 12 hours, 8 hours, 7 hours, whatever it was, on this work. Their heart opened up to it, began to get bonded, included and connected to it. So when you walk away, it's still, you're still connected there. You actually have to shift your heart's direction before you get home. Otherwise, kids come up to say hello and they're in irritation. So the heart has to be shifted. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, what we focus and put value on and meditate on and give ourselves to will actually become, will open our life to it. So get this, if you focus your life on your problems, you will open your life up to the problems and the demons with them and the issues with them. Now, it's not we ignore problems. You've just got to make the focus on God's goodness to provide a solution and then the focus on the solutions, what part you can play. It's a way of thinking. Now, many people you'll find are very negative. Something comes up and they're very negative because they've never learned how to handle the focus of their life. And so if I can keep my life focused on God's goodness and willingness, no matter what situation, to provide every resource I need and then busy myself with looking at the opportunities, possibilities, and way through, I will find a flow of life consistently. But most people don't do that. They get a problem and they get down over the problem. They get stressed over the problem. But if they were honest, what they would say is this, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Well, I'm afraid that I'll not make it through this, that something bad might happen. And when people are afraid, they try to control. See, so fear will cause you to want to control everything and everyone around you. But you see, what I'm really saying is this, that in the core of my heart, I don't believe God loves me and will come through for me on this one. That is what is really going on in the heart. And unless the focus of the heart shifts, you'll pray a little bit and then immediately your mind goes back to the problem and you worry about it again. We have to learn how to handle the pressures of life. And one of the keys to it is getting deeper and rooted in the knowledge of who God is and how he loves us. If I am loved and by God and he has every provision for, if he has every answer to every problem, and I can trust that he has every part, I believe in his goodness and his love, then I can walk much more securely in life. And if I'm promoted, well, praise the Lord. If I'm demoted, no big deal, praise the Lord. What's next? If I'm in going good, well, praise the Lord. If I'm going, things aren't going good and I'm having a mess everywhere, I'm, well, praise the Lord. Let's see what he's going to do. My grace is made perfect in your weakness. What better chance is there to show how good I am? Come on now. Come on now. The power of God came into the resurrection of power. God comes where the cross has been, where there's been a place of death and we've run out of energy and run out of ideas and answers. Okay, I want you to have a look with me in a scripture here. 
David chose to believe that God was good. Just in verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Or in other words, he's saying this, I would have fainted and quit and given up if I hadn't had this thing going on inside me. I believe I will see all God's goodness manifested in my life. Here, now, soon. See, that's what he believed. I believe I'll see God's goodness. See, it means I'll have answers, supernatural answers flowing in my life. God will show his goodness. He said, I'd have quit if I didn't believe that. So you can see now, the focus of his heart is intimate relationship with the Lord, beholding continually how good God is, because if he's reminded how good God is when he faces a problem, you know what's uppermost in his mind? How good God is. Otherwise, the problem would be big, God would be small, and I'd faint or quit or give up. So he said the reason he didn't quit, the reason he didn't give up, the reason he didn't fight, because he had faith in his heart, out of intimacy with God, there came courage and faith to believe. He's so good, there's no way I'm not going to see an answer. See, but that's a relationship. You don't get that overnight, and you definitely don't get it by someone laying hands on you. You've got to build it in your life. And this season of fasting, sometimes we think fasting, we think, I'm giving up something. That's a bad focus to have. You know what will happen? If you feel the focus of the fast is giving up something, because we're all giving up something, you know what will happen? You will just so want that something. You'll find ways to cheat. (laughs) You will, you see? But the focus is not the giving up. The focus is that I might come to something, come to someone. See, so the purpose of the fast, we, we, you're giving up food or whatever you're giving up, you, you're letting it go, that you might devote yourself to enlarging your experience and your walk with God, enlarging your heart to receive from Him. That's what, now that's the focus. If that isn't your focus, boy, you'll find it hard fasting because there's no real reason for it, just giving up food. That's hard to do, hard to do. Okay, let's have a look in 2 Corinthians 3. Look at the scripture that tells about change. Change your focus and you change your life. Change your focus this year, you'll change your life this year. Change your, you change your focus and you will change your life. You know, it's amazing that in a lot of marriages that go through troubles, you know, the one, one's complaining about the other, wife complains about the husband, husband complains about the wife, and what they focus on is the other person. And how bad they are. And you know what happens? They get sucked into it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You ever noticed when you look at someone's faults how much they grow? Boy, they get bigger. In the end, you think, well, I can't stand that person. That's what happens so many marriages. But I, I tell people over and over, stop focusing on them. You can't do anything about them except you can do something about yourself. So why don't you look at getting better attitudes, a better lifestyle, and get on with your life and do what God's here for you to do. And as you change your focus, everything around you will change. Whole situations unlock. Okay, now look at the scripture. This is a fantastic scripture here. It says, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Ah, oh, yes. When God is moving, there is liberty, and it should show. That's why religion is an abomination. No liberty, no spirit. You know what? When there's no liberty... There's one thing you'll be sure of. God ain't there. 
It's true. That's why people love it. They're drawn to life, drawn to freedom. People are drawn to free-spirited people. We're absolutely attracted to freedom. We're attracted to life. We're, we're repelled from rules and, and, and attracted to breaking them. And we're attracted to life and liberty. So attractive. People are not attracted to Christians who live their life by a whole bunch of rules. It is so, so, oh, crushing. Keep it all to yourself. You know? But you see, but real faith in God is so freeing. So I love this why David jumped up and down and laughed when they said, stop doing that. You, you don't look very good. He said, who cares? I'm passionately in love with the law. I don't care. I'm just going to have a great time with God. Look at this. Now, here's the scripture. We all, how many are included in that? All, all. So this is going to apply to everyone here. Okay, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. I'll read it again. We all, we all. We all, now y'all, now we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, the word change is the word metamorphosis, which is like going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. This is talking about a changed lifestyle, a total change. And it says we all are changed when something happens. So he's giving us a key now. Now, let me just, as you read the verse, I want you to ask this question. Who does the changing? Just have a look at the verse. Who causes the change to take place? The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. We are changed by the Spirit of the Lord. Who's changing us? The Spirit of the Lord. How are we getting changed? The Spirit of the Lord. So this is not some good self-help program here. I will try harder. I will do better. I will try to be a good boy. I tried so often, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> See? So, so notice the change is by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a spiritual principle where power flows into our life to change us. We are changed. So who has changed? We all are changed or transformed by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, let's have a look a little bit more in it. Because you, as you look at it, you'll start to see there is a part for us to do. So, so there's, notice we are changed. So that's a process. Notice it says from glory to glory. Whatever that means, that's obviously I'm getting better and better and better. So notice here, how are we changed? By the Spirit of God. How is this taking place? It is an ongoing process, not a quick fix in an altar call, not a prayer meeting, not even a two, three weeks of fasting. This is a lifestyle. Eh? It is a lifestyle. It, it, we are changed by the Spirit of God. I want that to happen. See, from glory to glory means I'm getting better and better and better and better. Now, how does it take place? It says very clearly, we beholding as in a mirror or beholding or looking with open eyes at the glory of the Lord. In other words, it's saying, if I will make my focus the glory of the Lord, whatever it is, then the Spirit of God will do the work of changing me and I'll become like what I'm looking at. I'll become more like Him. That's why it uses the term mirror. If I can, and I don't know how to do this, but let me keep asking the questions. Who's doing the change? Well, the Holy Ghost is going to help me. Okay, that's good. Number one, Holy Ghost is going to help me. Two, it's a process. How long is it going to take place? It's a journey in my life. What will it look like? I will go from glory to glory. 
That's not from misery to misery. You look at your problems, you will go from misery to misery. One degree of misery to another. You focus on what's wrong with your spouse, one degree of hell to another. Oh my, it is a process. There's no doubt about that. See? And then he says, now, so if I behold the glory. Now what does it mean to behold the glory? How do I go about doing it? Well, let's have a look first of all the term, what is the, the, our part? Our part here is I must behold the glory of God, whatever that means. So I'm just going to share with you how that takes place. And I'll share with you what it is, because it's not so hard. It's just different to what we got used to. And uh, we try hard and find we get frustrated because it doesn't work out. Eh? So first of all, what does it mean by the glory of the Lord? Beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, very clear, in Exodus 33 and verse 18, Moses says to the Lord this question. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And you know what God responds? He says, I will let all my goodness go before you. All my goodness. So, so beholding the glory means literally to behold how good God is, what God is like. It means to see with an open eye what he is like, to see his goodness, okay, to see his goodness. In Exodus 34, verse 6, then he does this. He says, he says now he says, I'll proclaim what I'm like. Here's what I'm like. Are you waiting for it, Moses? See, beholding the goodness of the Lord, beholding what God is like, I'm changed to become like that. Eh? See, so now he says, now I'm going to tell you just so you didn't know. So God showed him, he had the experience, and then God spoke to him so he would know what it was like. He says what he says, the Lord, the Lord. Now I've got it written down here, the Lord Oh, I got touched. The Lord God, merciful, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in truth. Well, these are good things, aren't they? You got it all up there? The Lord passed before and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, abounding in goodness. That means he's got heaps of it. Got heaps of it. So what did David do? Oh, I want to keep seeing the beauty of the Lord. I want to see how good he is. And then he said this interesting statement, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, what he's saying is, is I've learned how to behold what God is like. As I've learned to meditate, not on my problems, not on the circumstance, not how difficult, not what I'm feeling. As I've learned to fix the gaze of my inner man and dwell on and meditate on and make that goodness of God the focus of my life, it starts to flow out of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Look at this. What is the Lord like? Goodness and mercy, abounding in goodness and mercy. So the overflow of goodness from his life was an expression of what he'd focused his life on. So we just pray for it. But God says, now there's something else you need to do. Sure, it's good to pray, but there's a need to behold the goodness of the Lord. See? So what we focus on impacts what we become. In the parable in Matthew 25, when there was a servant there with one talent. Remember what the servant with one talent? You know what he did? He said, ooh, I feared you. You're a hard man. You sow and you reap where you haven't sown. He said, oh, I buried the talent. Now, you notice his perspective of God, how he saw God. Oh, hard. See, he projected his own ideas of what God was like onto God. Many Christians project onto God ideas about God that they've formed that are not what he's like at all. 
if you were raised in a hard, controlling environment, you see God hard and controlling. You're raised in a religious, legal environment, you see God is legal, demanding. If you're raised in an environment where the parents were absent and God's not there, he just disappears, you know. Uh, tolerant, uh, everything is allowed to do anything you like, no discipline. Well, you just learn that God doesn't care about anything. And so then we try to relate to a God we don't know. And you can't relate to someone well that you don't know. You have to know him. That's why Paul said, this is what I long for, that I might know him. Know what he's like. Know his character. Know his goodness. So I need to find out how can I then open my life to beholding, dwelling on the goodness of God. Because if I will behold the goodness of God, it will change me. You know what I'll change like? He said, beholding his glory, I'm changed from one degree of glory to another. Beholding God's goodness, in other words, meditating, fixing my eyes on how good God is and allowing that to overwhelm and become part of my life, it will flow out of me as well. I'll become just like him. And what usually happens with our problems is we're so focused at overcoming the problem, we live in condemnation and defeat and performance all the time, trying hard, rather than learning how to just understand what God is like. If I failed, he's merciful. If, if, if I come to him, he's always good. See, sometimes what happens is you've had a row, you've done something, this and that, the devil runs in on you and accuses you, and then you find you're compromised in your relationship and connectedness with God because the image has changed inside. So how can we shift that? I'll give you a couple of scriptures on it, and then we'll, we'll finish up. See, so let's have a look in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 to 19. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. And I, will, I want to give you some practical things too, but just have a look, one more verse on this. And two more verses on it, then I'll share the keys. Here it is, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. Isn't it interesting, the way Eve fell was she actually believed a lie that God wasn't good, was holding out. That's how she fell. She believed God's holding out on me. God isn't really good at all. God actually holds out on people. And when she believed that, she was gone. She changed because she changed and no longer was she captivated by the goodness of God. Okay, let's have a look in Ephesians chapter 3. That's what it says here and Paul's praying for Christians. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So to experience the life of God, I must believe and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now notice the end point here. The end point is you being filled with what God is like. That's a good goal. That's God's goal. He wants you to be filled up, not with resentments and hurts and fears and anxiety. He wants us filled with his goodness. Oh, yes. But what is the process? I must become rooted and grounded in his love. Rooted means I've got to let the roots of my inner life learn how to draw down and drink. I am loved. I am loved this morning, loved this afternoon, loved tonight. Oh, I experience the love of God. And as I draw off that, see, plants get their nutrients and their life out of the ground. We are to get our life flow out of this one revelation. God loves you. You are special. You are precious to him. The Bible, now how do you, oh, well, God loves me. Well, see, we've diluted the word love so much, I don't even know what it means. So then you've got to search other parts of scripture, and then you find he gives you all kinds of parallels everywhere in scripture on it. 
Like he says, uh, he says, as I, like, as a woman, could never forget her child. I've written your name on my hands. I love you. I can't forget you. I'm thinking about you. you know when you want to remember something, you write it on your hand. He said, I wrote your name on my hand. I'll never forget you. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. See, he says, I'm always thinking about you. He says, with loving kindness have I drawn you. See, he's a passionate person. God is not sort of stoic and cold. and He is passionate and full of life. And because he's a passionate God, when you get in his presence, you begin to feel overwhelmed with that love. He loves us. We are important to him. And that's what it says, uh, it says, being rooted in that as a personal experience on an ongoing basis, we become filled with the life of God. We begin to affect the people around us. It overflows. Now notice in 1 John chapter 4, it says, we love him because he first loved us. In other words, our love for him, our ability to come into a meeting and express love for him is an overflow of receiving being loved. A lot of people can't express love to the Lord because they never felt being loved. Lived in a loveless home, cold families, unemotional or being abused and their hearts shut down. And God wants you to experience his love so you can overflow and be that kind of person. You give to others what you got. So if you're needing to be loved more or you need to learn to love people more, one of the things you need to do is learn how to draw upon the love of God, to draw upon his goodness. Draw Now, get this. If we will change our minds, God will change our heart. If we will change our mind, God will change our heart. No one can change your mind or what you focus on but you. This is the one thing you have to do. You've got to decide to do it. But what we behold, we're changed. So God can change us if we will change how we think. If we will direct what is... In other words, I've got to get a lifestyle in the Word of God. See, it's my responsibility to behold His goodness. It's my responsibility to dwell on His goodness. It's my responsibility to let my heart begin to grow in seeing and knowing what God is like. And as I do it, I change. Now, you're the only one who can choose it. I can't, there's no prayer line that can make this happen for you. There's no one, no message going to make it happen for you. There's no meeting you can go to that's going to happen for you. It's actually something you've got to give yourself to day by day. I must fill my mind with truth, not just try to stop doing bad stuff. Most people try to move forward by trying to stop doing bad stuff rather than just filling their mind with the goodness of God and the truth about Him. Let me just give you some simple things that you can do. Now, what I found is that the majority of Christians look for a lot of information. So they read books, listen to tapes, all of those things can help. But listen, if it's only information, it is not going to change you. I found... If I have too much, I just can't absorb it. I actually restrict what I get to the things that really help me grow. I don't watch everything that's on. I don't listen to everything that's around. I try to focus on what God is doing now and develop that part. There's only so much information you can take in. You listen to lots of tapes, lots of CDs, read lots of books. You know, two weeks, three weeks later, you don't even remember any of it. Oh, it was a good book. Hey, were you a better person? Well, I don't think so. Oh, wonderful, just 20 bucks down the drain. You've got to do something with what you've got. Otherwise, you don't change. 
See, that's why you come to meeting after meeting. You people have sat in more meetings, listened to more good mission than anything, but that's not going to change you. It'll help, inspire, perhaps direct us the right way. But the thing that gives the greatest change is ultimately what you will do tomorrow morning. And they're right, let me just give you some simple things of what you can do. I need to behold the reality of what God is like. So this is what I do. I've got to get involved. So number one, I'll give you some simple things to do. Number one, I need to read the Bible or listen to the Bible and find out what it says about God. Particularly one thing you can do is look and see where in the Psalms where David describes what God is like. The Lord is my light. Oh, man, he switches things on. I get to understand. The Lord is my salvation. Oh, man, he rescues me. The Lord is the strength of my life. Man, he empowers my boys. Oh, a strength. What strength. Yeah. So you've got to read the Word of God, find out what it says. Yeah, if I look through Jesus, how he handled people and dealt with people. But get some of the Word of God into you. Second thing, you need to focus and meditate on it. Now, you can't do that in a hurry. And it actually is a discipline because most of our minds just go all over the place. I need to meditate. The Lord is good to me. The Lord is good. Try to picture what it's like. When I was trying to experience the love of God, I meditated on God, just reach Jesus reaching out and loving me. I just meditated on that. Meditate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I just meditated and embraced it. You let your mind dwell on it. So one of the things I found helpful is take a scripture, memorize the scripture so you don't have to think about it while you're saying it, and then, it beca- then you can begin to meditate on it. Then begin to pray it aloud. Pray the scripture aloud. Personalize it. Lord, yeah, yeah, one thing have I desired of you, Lord. I am committed to this. I long- now, so what I do is I state the scripture in a personal form and then begin to declare it in various ways. So one thing of I desire the Lord, that will I seek after. I may do on the house, blah, 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 blah. Okay, now let's get it. One thing of I desire the Lord is one thing I long after you. Now as you begin to give utterance to these things, your heart begins to change. I'm beginning to set my mind on the Lord is good and loving me, and I set my heart to agree, Lord, there's one thing I desire. I desire this. This is what I want. Lord, it's more than anything, more than success in life, more than any other thing, more than riches, fame, and there's one thing I want from you. That's the thing I'm seeking you for today. Lord, I'm longing after this one thing. Lord, I hunger for you. So you begin to declare the prayer. You make it personal, that I might live in your presence Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, there's such wonderful, overwhelming feeling of being clean and whole. Lord, I want to live in your presence. Lord, I hunger after you that I might behold all your beauty. I thank you. You're a God who loves me. I thank you for your wonderful love filling my heart. I reach out and drink that love. So you can just flow out of the scripture because you've made the scripture your meditation and your prayer. But if you haven't memorized, it's real hard to do. So I've got to memorize a few scriptures. And you see, now as I began to pray, I started to lock in and almost lose awareness of everyone here. I started to lock into the presence of God, just like I would in prayer. See? So get scripture. memorize it and meditate on it. Meditate and ponder over, picture it, and then begin to pray it aloud, personalizing it. And then keep repeating. Just keep doing it. You have to persevere with this. It doesn't just shift because you did it once. It shifts because you make it a way of life. And so every day for the three weeks, oh, there's one thing I desire of you, Lord. I am passionately pursuing. And And what happens is by the end of three weeks, your whole inner life is just alive with desire. Oh, the three weeks is up. Oh, I want to keep going. And you find you've changed. In change by trying hard, you changed 
by changing the focus of your life. Now, there's other things we can do as well. The Bible tells us to uh, listen to what God says and do it because Jesus made this promise in John 14. If you do what I say, then my Father and I will manifest ourselves to you and we will love you. So one of the ways I encounter the goodness of God is when I start to respond to what God's saying to me. In other ways, by giving and serving people. In, in, in Isaiah 58, the fast the Lord's chosen, it tells us that if you will just stop pointing at people and, and actually open your heart to them and begin to serve them, then your light will shine. God will come upon you. So the, these are things that you can do that will shift what's happening. But the number one thing I want to get you to consider and to begin to work with is changing the focus of your thoughts and centering them on the goodness of God. Now, you could center it on his mercy. You could center it on his love, center it on his kindness. I remember centering it on his joy one day, and I just started to laugh. I laughed all the way to work. I laughed all the way home. I found myself grinning like a cat that had caught a mouse. I just couldn't believe it. I was just gotten overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord. Now, I didn't ask the Lord for joy. I meditated on it and started to feel it and experience it. Then I got real joyful. Hey, most people are waiting till they feel joy. You don't do that. You actually put on a new mind. And as you put on a new mind, your feelings will follow your mind and follow where you focus. Come on, we need to do that.